Welcome to episode 32 of the Win at Six podcast, official podcast behind bookpass.com. I'm your host, site's editor-in-chief, Adam McGee, and joining me this week, as always, we've got managing editor, Ty Windish, and staff writer, Jordan Tresky. It's been another books week. Uh, more more decisions in terms of lineups, which are at first confusing, then encouraging, then meh. <laughs> Let's talk point guards or shooting guards who might play point guards. What is going on? Remember when we thought OJ Mayo was going to be a small forward? That was like a month ago. A month ago, <laughs> we were like, yeah, he'll probably play a lot of small forward for this team because, you know, there's a, there's a small forward problem. There's certainly not a guard problem. And here we are in early slash mid-December. I don't know where 7th slash 8th. I don't know if that's early or mid. We'll say early. That's early. That's early. Here we are in early December, and we got O.J. Mayo at point guard. And I was really hoping that, like, if you remember, O.J. Mayo was super hyped coming out of high school. I was really hoping that hype was about him as a point guard, and he was just played out of position for, like, 10 years, and he was going to be, like, the next great point guard. It did not happen, but he hasn't been terrible, to his credit. Yeah, his... his I don't know. It's so weird. He just... His mind, I don't know if I've seen a player play so differently or, like, the exact opposite of how they play when they have a quote-unquote position change. Like it's really not that different from him playing shooting guard. But he, act, he acts like a totally different player than how he uh, is at shooting guard. We saw that tonight. Like, when Carter Williams is, would be in against Portland, he was like just every look that he was behind the three pointer or three point line, he was checking it. Like it was just so weird to see him kind of just switch like how his like mindset. I don't know. It was odd, but can't be the two and zero under the OJ Mayo point guard area. <laughs> that doesn't make me like it at all. <laughs> um, I just the thing for me is you talked about like mental game there. I feel like that's all I need to see from a Bucks point guard. Like, take like five shots and do a lot of really good passes. That's, that's all they want. But this is ridiculous. This is the most ridiculous part of it. That's all they need. You're building a team, and at this stage, all it seems like the coaching staff want, the fans want, is a point guard who's going to stay out of the team's way. Yes, that's that's what I want. But how? I can name. Literally one point guard that suits that role. And I know the, the point guard as well, and we talked about him in the summer, I bet. Wait. Maybe not. Okay, you Who go with it? yours. Maybe there's two. Maybe there's two. 
Who's yours? I was thinking Patrick Beverly. Well, Patrick you have two point guards. Well, Here's then you've got one Isn't point guard and Matthew Della Vadova. <laughs> well, no, it's... Hey. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not saying that's the ideal point guard for this team. I'm but, saying that's all they need right now. Like, they, the opposite of what they need is an inefficient guy who's going to take, you know, 15 shots a game. O.J. Mayo led the team in shots attempted tonight. Well, Here's where I'm inclined to disagree with that, though, is... No matter what point guard is on the floor or not on the floor, they're not doing a good job of creating offense. Mm-hmm. So, in a theoretical sense, yeah, of course you go, okay, you want all the offense to run through guys like Giannis, Jabari, you want it to be their team, even Greg Monroe inside, you don't mind Middleton taking trees. The moment they're not getting these shots for themselves too easily. Like they, they actually need someone to find the shots for them. And that's the problem is, yeah, it, in terms of the talent that's on the roster, you go, okay, well, there's all these other players who we want to have high usage, I guess, is the best way of putting it in other positions. But in terms of what they actually do on the floor, they still need someone to create for them. Mm-hmm. That's why it stagnates. Like in the game against the Blazers, the game that we've just finished watching, um, we are now... 4-0 and uh, for books games followed by podcast recordings. Um, as much as everybody wants us to do podcasts every night, the way this books team is playing, I do not want to do a podcast <laughs> after every game. <laughs> doesn't sound like fun. Um, <coughs> if you look at a game like that, the first quarter was good. Recurring team for the season, it fell away from there. But at the same time, it was when it really went stale in the second and third quarter. There was no one to break it up. And Michael Carter-Williams had six turnovers. That was bad. At the same time, there's something about me that feels more comfortable watching him on the floor. Because he had seven assists. I feel like he can make the pass. He might overdo it and make the turnover. I just feel like there's a better chance of running the offense when he's there. Like, take the, the most important play is probably now being seen as as Henson's block, but Greg Monroe's lay-in just at the end of the game, that was MCW won the tip, took the ball straight back off Monroe, didn't have a lot of time to think about it, and he went, reacted, and he made a great play. Simple as that. That sort of thing, if Mayo's on the floor, I don't think it's possible. Now, if they don't want Michael Carter-Williams to start, the way I'd be leaning with this, and I just think it's really unfortunate with the way things have fallen that we haven't got a chance to see this. A guy who, if they want someone who will create to run the point guard, I want to see Grievous Vasquez have a shot. Yeah, I mean, I, I see the case. I mean, there's, you're not the only one who's been saying that. I've seen a little bit of that on Twitter, too, and he might end up being the guy. It seems like if kid's going to go out of his way to not start Michael Carter-Williams, which I guess is justified technically. I don't know what I don't know what the technical cause for that would be. Anyway, Vasquez certainly seems like a better option than OJ Mayo to start at point guard. I mean, he can do the same things that you want Mayo to do, but possibly offer more. It's just about whether you can get Vasquez to rein his game in the same way that surprisingly Mayo seems to be able to do. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And I think I, I don't know. I think it's so easy to beat this. It's it feels like a dead horse at this point. But the criticism, I think, when I was watching the game tonight, it was really obvious that I don't think they have put Michael Carter Williams in a position to succeed. And you can take that for what it is. He has numerous flaws. Shooty is the biggest one, obviously. His vision is not as good as we hoped that it could be. His defense might not have be as hyped as it was, too. But I don't think he is put it in an offense for him to succeed. I think it looks like he has tunnel vision so many times that it's because there isn't a proper way to run things. And when they have shooters with them, or quote-unquote a shooting lineup, I saw tonight he was out with Johnny O'Brien, John Henson, Giannis, who we know can shoot, but he has tenet, or is very timid at times, and Chris Middleton. He literally has one shooter with him. I know there's injuries, and I know Chris Copeland or Dominic Inglis or, uh, um, I mean, you know, Miles Pullman, they're not – Copeland is probably the best shooter out of, the, out of them, but he has his own flaws. But I just feel like we get so caught up in how bad he's playing. Yes, he has six turnovers tonight, all this stuff. But it's so – it just feels so obvious that they have, may not have put him in the best position to succeed. And I don't know what that is. Sorry, I got really serious there. No, I mean, I think that's fair because even there's a, there's a few different ways where that's the case. And that's because even when it's not going sort of terribly bad, if it's just sort of taking along, he's playing mediocre, where you get away with it on a lot of teams with the books, he's going to have a whole brigade of people who are going to go, I'd like Yanis to handle the ball more. <sighs> or he still has too much of the ball himself. Now, I know that's a tough one to do. Like, there's there's so much a big part of point guard play. Obviously, they're the person who has to create for the rest of their teammates, but the teammates have to help them out. Mm-hmm. And that goes. I mean, how many from, times, or sorry to cut you off, but how many times have we seen this year already? People not moving around, people waiting for a standstill that's shot. Exactly it. That's if if guys don't move to create open shots for themselves, if bodies don't move to to set screens and set multiple screens, that that's a big part of it for me. I watched some footage from last year earlier today, uh, just a few brief clips, and the most obvious thing was the difference last year was the willingness of the books to move from screen to screen to screen and do whatever it took to get a player an open shot where there just doesn't seem that activity this year. It's, it's just static bodies when you watch the books on offense. It's like, well, we'll pass from one side to the other, and there's two types of passing from one side of the court to the other. There's one where it's done with purpose, and it's, it's to move the opposition defense around and find an open man. And the other is the way the books have done so often this year, where it's just it's sort of lumbering passes where it's, well, there's no option over on the left side of the court, Let's see if we have anything on the right side. No, there's nothing. Let's give it back to the point guard, and he's got five seconds to make something happen. Mm-hmm. And it's like there's no... They don't initiate offense early enough. If it's not in transition, the books seem to take a long time. It's something maybe that I should probably have a closer look into just in how long they're taking to initiate offense. Um, but definitely, if not in transition, it 
generally seems they'll cut it pretty fine on the clock. There's just a lot more help needed. And I, a big part of that just falls on active bodies. I think you've nailed it, Jordan, because whether it's guys moving to get themselves more space to hit shots or whether it's the rest of their teammates. If you're not a shooter, well, you should be setting screens to get a shooter open. That's how offense is supposed to work, and the books don't do enough of that. And it's, you know, obviously we th it's easy to bring up Brandon Knight, but that's why you have a player like that, like what Brandon Knight brings, is because there are going to be offensive possessions that take a little bit longer than most times that you want them. And they're, not to call them bailout threes, but Brandon Knight was really good at that. You know what I mean? Like, the shot clock is going down, he has the ball in his hand. Let's just chuck it up. He's a good shooter. But I feel like with their offenses, it hasn't changed from what that is. And then the, Michael Carter Williams is not positioned to do that whatsoever. And I feel like that is ultimately the biggest mishandling of this whole situation. And it's really surprising, too, because. We talk about Jason Kidd as a very good point guard, and the position that he has mishandled with this team the most is the same position they played for 20 years in the NBA. So I don't. I mean, it speaks to a bigger issue. Maybe we'll see a resolution somewhere down the line, or if this experiment continues. But it's just really, I don't know. It it's. Uh, it's frustrating and just obviously compelling to talk about too. <laughs> yeah, I think we uh, we talked about that last thing you said, Jordan. Was that last week on the podcast or was that somewhere else? I think it was on the podcast, Adam and I. I know Adam was the one who responded to me about it. I think it was on the pod, yeah, where it was, you know, maybe Jason Kidd is assuming too much with a lot of these point guards, like, like what you you don't really you you need plays to be run. Like I could do this stuff real easily. Like if I was still out there. You know, I don't need to be put in a position. I'll just go get it. Yeah, and, uh, I think that yeah. that is that's something that has to be considered because there's one of two ways it goes with him being such a great point guard. And we're all going one way of, well, he should be the perfect mentor. That is, the other side of it is, well, maybe this is all beyond his comprehension because things that were second nature to him are completely foreign to a lot of the guys he's coaching. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's 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 kind of rare for a star player to be a coach, isn't it? A little bit. Mm -hmm. A lot of the, a lot of the greats are role players. Yeah, uh, would Lenny I mean, Wilkins be considered a star? I, I mean, Lenny Wilkins. I mean, uh, Mikhail just got fired. He was a pretty high-profile player. Yeah, Mikhail is yeah. is pretty big, but but he did yeah, just get fired. Right, he did, rare, he did but... just get fired. <laughs> I mean. Most of the, I mean, you look at Steve Kerr's recent, he's not really proven, and he was in he a couple big plays, but he, yeah. he was a role player. You look at back, way back when he played Phil Jackson, I want to say, was a role player. Mm -hmm. Larry Bird would be an exception. Larry Bird, he coached? Yeah. Yeah. Pisses. Did it go well? Did it go well? Went very well for about three years. He, he went to the finals with them. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, was, yeah, yeah. was in the conference finals oh, in yeah. years and the NBA finals in another year. Yeah. yeah. So Larry Bird never knocked out before the conference finals as a coach. Jeez. Wow. 
And I know I, I feel like they need to say this because I know I feel like someone's gonna say this, but it it could speak on how Kid is probably particular about that position more so than anything. But I just feel like ultimately he hasn't put like Carter. I mean, it, honestly, it feels like Carter Williams has regressed from what he was when he came to the team last year, and that's kind of odd. Say the least. He he, one hundred percent played better defense with the Philadelphia 76ers than he has done with the Milwaukee Bucks. Isn't that weird? Like <laughs> that's that's, that's kind of eyebrow raising to me. Can because we, uh... that, that's the point you made that earlier. Is maybe he's not as good a defender as we thought he was. He's just yeah. not doing it with the books. He did it with a team where he had no right to look like a good defender. But, I mean, if you can look a good defender in Philadelphia, I don't know. Then again, Brett Brown is a really good coach. Yeah. yeah little, time out with, little time out with Ty thing there, yeah. <laughs> um, can, we, uh, can we talk about the Neem bomb? That was this week, wasn't it? Which one was that? The, uh, the Brandon Knight trade one. Uh, it's not even about if it was a good trade or not just the way the narrative has been framed I think it's a good point it is a good point it's a good point I think it's I mean I think it's a true point I mean I think I took more of a aggressive pro night stance in my article and the main point wasn't this but in there I mean part of my thing was I mean they, they definitely could have kept everyone like it was financially possible yeah like that's in, in the context here, I actually think it, it might have been the week before. The one you're referring to there was about keeping Knight and Middleton. Um, yeah. But I think it might have been Eric as well. The week before that, he was making the point that there was no real difficulty in them keeping Dudley and Zaza if they wanted to. Yeah, I mean, if you look at, like, OJ Mayo, Miles Plumley, Chris Copeland, and, I don't know, a couple other guys I can't think of right now, that's like $12, 13000000 million right there. Oh, look, I mean, the Bucks propaganda machine is exceptionally good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They, they really do. They can they know how to spin a deal. Like, I know. The second, the second youngest team lost that a couple nights ago, Adam. The second youngest team in the NBA. I saw that one. <laughs> Not uh, just the Milwaukee Bucks. That one was a little bit shameless. Um... They didn't even call him the Bucks. I loved it. I will, I will say this. I, I included this into our uh, moments, or sig- most significant moments in franchise history. And the way George Carl talked about Ray Allen. Ray Allen, of all people, like if Jason Kidd said that about Brandon Knight now, oh my lord, would people like go crazy. Crazy. I don't want to have the quote with me, so I'm just I was going to ask you. That quote. It's something. It's basically something like we we had no choice but to trade Ray Allen, and it, we're better off without him or something like that. That is what Jason Kidd said. He didn't necessarily say that. He didn't say it like that. He I mean, he said, he said he didn't say as blood as we got the. He said we got the good end of the. He said we didn't give up much in the trade. He sort of has to say that. There's a difference. I mean. I think that's more blunt. I mean, he didn't say as – I don't think he said as compared to what we got. He just said, yeah, we didn't give up much. Ray Allen – let's be honest, though. Ray Allen compared to Brandon Knight. Yeah, but, I mean, 
uh, George Carl's, I think, was more team-based than, than kids. The quote, to be exact, uh, and this is quoting Jordan's. Jordan's retelling quote. of the quote, so if yeah. it's not exact, it's all on It's in that thing. Uh, but Carl called Alan nothing but trouble. Yeah, nothing said that but the team trouble. had no choice but to get rid of him. Okay, so you didn't have the first part. The second part wasn't as bad as the first part. I'll give you that. Yeah. But it's, <laughs> you, can't, you can't say... Kid waited a really long time, but he did end up trash talking night later. Oh no, yeah, I agree. He did. It did not speak well of that at all. I, I, mean, I just. I don't I know. Feel did like you, did you see if what we're talking on Brandon Knight? Did you see what Marcus talk, Morris had to say? Oh yeah. Yeah, I did. See, did you see what I had to say about that? No, I didn't see that. He, there you go, Ty. <laughs> you can tell him if you want. I. It was something yeah. about someone who cried watching his brother leave. <laughs> the guy, guy who cried publicly about being traded away from his twin brother in the NBA knows a lot about soft. He literally was like, oh, it's it's wrong for Phoenix to trade me when I clearly signed here to be with my brother. Like, it's the NBA. Like, come on. I mean, National, they weren't going to keep supporting forever either. That's what he thought it was. <laughs> I don't want to hear Marcus Morris tell me about soft. Only only Kobe can tell me about soft. That's the only person. <laughs> I don't know why you brought it up. I should have known better. Should have known better. Get let's get back on topic for a minute. I mean, books point guards. First of all, they're going to be the death of me. Nobody warned me when I when I got involved with you people um, that I was going to have you to talk about point guards like forever. You people. I think Jordan. I think that was a racist thing Adam just said. <laughs> yeah, against we, we Bucks, like, Bucks fans get a bad rap. I mean, maybe we maybe we get to a. Fan I don't know. I actually, this is, this is me. I'll put my outsider hat on for a second. I don't know if there's another fan base. That's not. It's not Bucks fans' fault. It's. I guess it's just a result of what they've had to watch. But I don't know if there's another <laughs> fan base who are. Quite as obsessed with one particular position. Well, I mean, to be fair, look at the point guards yeah. we've had thrust upon us. Yeah. I know, that's what I'm saying. That plays into it, but at the same time, like, I think could that, that probably could plays a part in now why everyone's like, like, yeah, OJ Mayo can be the point guard because then maybe we just can pretend point guards don't exist and the problems go away. <laughs> How could you it's not like, obsess over Nate Walters? I mean, come on. Yeah. It's the curse yeah, of the I, Packers. It's the curse of the Packers having only two quarterbacks for the last twenty-five years. The yeah, Bucks have, that, have had yeah. probably twenty-five in twenty-five years. <laughs> I bet you you can you can find on Twitter and then within like twenty minutes someone who wishes the Bucks still had Nate Walters right now. I don't think it would. I don't think it would take twenty minutes to be honest. There might be some people that people, wish he was still on the team. That wish who? No, I'm joking. It's a bad catcher. Oh. oh, okay. I do not wish this like Kendall Marshall. You, Jordan, surely not. <laughs> I, I still, I, I mean, I think Kendall Marshall is a more serious one, though. I think he would help this team if he ever plays again. I mean, I'm, move, I'm moving play. this on. Um, we, we've yeah. gone down. Wait, no, the I actually, I have, a topic. I have a topic. that I just thought of. It's good. No, you'll really, you'll actually like this. Adam. It's a point guard related. No, not at all. Okay, let's do it. Why did they call up Damian English to not play him at all when he could have kept playing games with the charge? 
No idea. Is I think it? I said this to you, Ty, didn't I? I don't know. I think that, I did. That question? Yeah, exactly that one. No, I don't think so. Well, I said it to someone. We'll let, we'll let you have the credit for it, but it's completely valid. I don't understand why the rotation was as tight as it was on Saturday. Like Or tonight. Were they just calling him for cover just in case? I mean, they played Chris Middleton 40 minutes in this game, in, in what is it, Monday night's game. It's not like they they were they weren't out of options. I mean, he wasn't playing particularly well. He had some good defensive moments, but I mean, if if there's there's I mean, Inglis is you know he's not nearly that, as good. Was part of that to do with the Hawks sending Tim Hardaway Jr. and Walsh Tavares there that they all of a sudden felt we're not so sure what benefit there is because minutes are going to be harder to come by in Canton. Let's bring him back. I mean, they could put him somewhere else. Yeah, but they'd have to bring him back first. And I mean, how many how many days has it been now? Uh, it's been like three Two. days. These these transactions happen super fast. It it doesn't though, because even if they want to do that, they have to approach the D League. He has to go for flexible assignment. Then they have to wait and see if anybody claims him from the D League. So like, because they don't have an affiliate, it takes time. Oh, I guess yeah. I was gonna say it can't take that long, but I think no. This is if they had their that... own team, he's there like in an hour. Yeah, I don't. I don't remember the player or the team, but someone played two games in one day. They played a D League and then a an, an NBA game. I think that was for the Knicks last year. I can't remember who. No, I this 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 happened this year too. I think. Okay. It was it was a player I recognized too, because I remember the quote was funny because it was like, I mean, I'll take all the damn minutes I can get right now, and I was like, ha, ah, I like this guy. I don't remember who it was though. Where I can't believe because uh, I've started, so I better finish it. But where is Jorge Gutierrez? Do we actually know where he is? I have not had an update. Adam, you googling this? I'm googling. Okay, I'm gonna try to find my D League thing. Jordan, talk. Um, I have no. I mean, that could be like the sequel to like where in the world is Carmen San Diego? I knew someone was gonna go there. Yeah. Where in the world is Jorge Gutierrez? First. <laughs> you know, the podcast is still rolling, Jordan. I know. Didn't, didn't we have to teach Adam what Carmen San Diego was? He, no. But, no? Yeah, he, know, he just said he knew it. No, this was before. I thought I had to teach someone who Carmen San Diego was in like the last year. I was very disappointed. Was in it that Carmen San Diego? No, I mean, I couldn't find her. <laughs> I Well, on that note, I can't find Jorge Gutierrez at the moment. He's at Jason Kidd's house just waiting. <laughs> yeah. In case of emergency, break out, break glass for He's Jorge in Jason Gutierrez. Kidd's trunk, he is. I'm going to, oh, oh, I'm going to bust out the ultimate <laughs> well actually here. Well actually. He was actually good last season. Oh, no, we're moving on now. I mean, you can't deny no, the numbers. No, I can't. I can't. The numbers talk. and the eye test. Seriously. He shot fifty percent. He shot fifty percent. Let's talk a little bit about style of play. This is a bit of a contentious issue at the moment, as most Adam, as Adam, most things how, are. How come the Bucks aren't leading the league in three-point attempts right now, Adam? I don't get it. Well, tell me, tell me. That was me sighing, people. Um, 
<laughs> that, I was, that was me I don't getting... know what everybody wants from this team anymore. Everybody wants something different to begin with. That's clear. Um, I mean, yeah, we did with the point guards. Yeah, I was gonna say we did. We did the the dual t the dual t of point guards. It took me eight tries to say that word. Like you said it wrong. The duality of point guards. Duality. But at the same time. Maybe it's just me, but I, I feel like there are others. Anytime I've suggested something along these lines, it seems to get a mixed reception, but there's definitely support for it. But all I want to see the team do is play to their strengths. And playing to their strengths now makes them better going forward because you often get, well, it's not about now, it's about the future. That's the same thing. You don't go, we're building for the future, so let's play to our weaknesses now. It's not how it works. Mm-hmm. Um, the Bucks may, at the moment, be taking the not shooting three pointers thing a little bit too far. Um, it's. I mean, with these injuries, I don't know if they are. Outside well, of Middleton, I don't, Mid- I don't know. Like, I mean, Mid- Middleton needs to take more three pointers. He took six in in Monday night's game. He just only made one of them. He took one. Did he take one the other night? One the other night. That was weirdly low. I mean, we know Chris Middleton is not... He's not. It's not surprising when he doesn't end up with a lot of shots. He just won't take them some nights. But, I mean, I don't, I don't hate it. I mean, look, the best two players going forward are Jabari and Giannis, right? And they're both... I mean, you could say power forward-esque. I mean, that might be their both best position... I think either of them can play other places. I mean, we talked about Jabari maybe being a small forward now. He's still pretty big for a small forward. I mean, he might be too slow for some small forwards in this league. And that's why it's nice to be able to switch the two of them. But, I mean, there's, there, it, it's possible that both of these guys are power forwards at heart, even though they don't need to play there. Why would you want a three-point shooting team when your best two players are power forwardish guys? Forwards, easily. You could just say forwards, I suppose. Like, that's... I mean, the Warriors... I mean, Draymond now is number two, but two of their best three players are their guards. That's why they shoot a lot of threes. The Rockets, their best player is one of their guards. That's why they shoot a lot of threes. Look at the Spurs. The second best team in the NBA is the Spurs. Their best players are Kawhi Leonard, who's shooting the three pretty well, but not at that kind of crazy volume. And LaMarcus Aldridge and still still Tim Duncan. You know, but you know what the biggest thing with three-pointers, and this is something that just people seem to miss, like this is we often get tweets... Well, I say we, it's me. When I tweet from our account, <laughs> based on the team shooting too many three-pointers or a positive coming out of them shooting this amount, I'll get replies back. It's in, in the sort of manner of, well, they're sixth in the NBA in three-point percentage and this and that. Now, as I pointed out in my piece I wrote about this the other day, Three-point attempts factors into that significantly. But what people seem to forget is there's more to three-point shooting than just making the shot. And to be a good three-point shooting team, you need to be good in a few other areas too. You need to be really good with movement, which we've already touched on. The books aren't. You need guys who are going to be prepared to run around and off screens. Something else that we briefly touched on, the books aren't doing a lot of is, is setting multiple screens. And then you also need a playmaker who is going to initiate the play that you can then find the open man with. So 
aside from the book's actual three-point shooting capabilities, that's three areas where if they are good, well, they're certainly underperforming right now. But I'd put that as three areas they're lacking in that are pretty much essential to being a good three-point shooting team. You don't become a good three-point shooting team by chucking up shots, standing still, which is all the books have shown themselves to be capable of doing with the tree. But they don't yeah, get I mean, in-rhythm looks for three-pointers. That's the problem. Why would you shoot them when you have guys who aren't knockdown shooters and you're not even giving them high-percentage looks? It's not coming in flow, it's not open, and you're not having multiple players involved in the sets. I, I just don't know what people expected. I mean... This was a projected starting lineup of MCW, Chris Middleton, Giannis Jabari, and Moose. It's like, where, where, where are a top five or top ten team in threes made going to come from out of that lineup? Mm-hmm. I, I, I wouldn't mind if the Bucks were bottom ten in threes attempted. I mean, they don't have that many guys who I say, I think that guy should take a three. We've all marveled at Giannis being able to make threes. What's he taking, like two a game? He, that's that's stopped Maybe virtually one. well. Like, I don't I have. That I has stopped. I wish that I wish that wouldn't stop. I wish but, that wouldn't have stopped, but it has. But see, that's but, the, I mean, even, that's even the part of it that I don't understand is that even people who are like real proponents of them taking a lot more three pointers, why why forced guys who aren't necessarily good shooters now into taking them? Because they don't just become good shooters by taking them and taking them. Um, if if you're under the impression that professional basketball players don't take a lot of three-pointers in practice to begin with, well, then you're on the, the completely wrong track. But, I told you all about John Henson this offseason. Everyone does it. And he looked good, too. The, like point, the point I'm making is, if a guy isn't a good three-point shooter and you want the team to be a three-point shooting team, it's pretty simple. He's got to look, set screens, and get, say, Chris Middleton free. If Middleton and Bayless are on the floor and you've got Yanis and Jabari and both of them are not stretching the floor as many people feel they may eventually be able to someday, well, they both need to be setting screens and helping those guys get open. Yeah, no, the Bucks aren't close to doing that right now. I mean, they don't even on-ball screen much right now. We're, we're miles away from off-ball screens. That's like three years from now. I'm going to get sidetracked again for a second because I want to go back to screens. Um, I mentioned earlier that I was watching a small amount of footage from last season earlier today. The most noticeable thing for me was how hard the books worked to get themselves quality shots last year. And that included guys like Mayo, um, but most particularly what stood out to me was Zaza. And regular listeners to the podcast are probably rolling their eyes right now going, Oh, here we go. He's going to talk about Zaza again. But this is a real thing, and this is something that I don't think anybody can dispute. He's known for it around the league. Positioning is one of Zaza's greatest strengths. That happens on the defensive end, where it's very rare that Zaza isn't there making you shoot over him if you're going to score. But where it came into play on offense was... He had a really good understanding of where and how his teammates should move, what his point guard was going to do, and not only would he set a first screen, but he could go and set a second and third screen based off of his own reactions and his own reads of the play while it was in progress. When I watched those clips and I saw 
really high quality looks being created. Three point shots, long twos, whatever it was. These are good open jump shots for for the books for Middleton in a lot of cases. But there's other guys too, and other guys this year who who could thrive on that. It struck me that you don't see Monroe come out and do that. Mm-hmm. And even like this team, it doesn't feel like I'd have to go and have a look at the numbers to be sure. It doesn't feel like they run as much pick and roll as they should even. No, like, they do at, they, at most one per set at absolute no. most. The player, the player I find runs pick and roll every now and then. And it works well. Is Henson when Henson comes into the game? At times, oh. I can't remember who it was. It was two or three games ago. He got him honest. Him and Giannis have been working real well together. There was someone who basically they just got in a bit of a flow together and they went to the pick and roll over and over and they got about three straight scores, I'd say, by going to it. That's like, it you just don't see enough of that. There's just The books aren't active enough to create their own offense. And maybe this is... Maybe we're on our own on this front as well because a lot of people don't seem to be concerned about the offense which is one of the most amazing details of the book season so far for me. Um, particularly coming out of games like that Kings game, which was a complete unmitigated disaster. But because the team scored like 130 points, many people sort of saw that as, oh, well, the offense is, isn't a problem. The offense is a major problem. The two biggest problems for me is there's no, no coherent structure to the offense. And then... As we saw tonight, and really should have lost the game for the Bucks against the Trailblazers, they can't defend the three-point line. The fact that at one stage, I think Portland were one for 15 from the three-point line. Mm-hmm. Why were they able to get up 15 three-point shots? Okay, some of them might be bad shots, but I'm sure there's quite a few open ones in there that they felt, okay, this is a good shot to take. And eventually, it was late in the third quarter by the time it turned, but they started to make them, as was always going to happen. If you keep letting them have them, eventually they're going to go in. That's what happened. It turns the game. And the books just can't defend the three-point line. And it's not that they don't have players capable of doing it. It's just they don't close out. It's really simple. And last year, everything we talked about for the books in the defensive end was about, well, they have this great length that they can switch, and it was just easier for them to cover in scenarios. They can't even close out now. There's not that simple closeouts at the three point line. It's just something that doesn't seem to be there for them. Mm. Yeah, it's I don't know. It's uh, it's really frustrating. Obviously, their defense is since the uh, controversial lineup change. <laughs> Which one? The the first one. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say yeah. there's more than one now. Yeah, the the defense has looked better, um, and just more energy. And not to kind of go back to or deviate from my point, but with the screens part, like you, you kind of hit the nail on the head. It's like where Zaza, he obviously wasn't the biggest center on the Bucks, and but he knew how to use his space really well. Like even just like kind of like putting his arms out. And having defenders, it might take them like a, a second or a half second later to get to the uh, guy's shooting or something like that. But that's still a half second, usually something like that. When you see Monroe 
Um, especially when Milton kind of does like, I don't know, like these like pseudo picks. I don't get, really know what you'd call them, but there isn't like he's trying to get out of the way. Like it looks like like Milton's like a, a tether ball, like wrapping around like a pole. You know what I mean? Like there isn't. It's I, there isn't like that space for him to create, and I think that's why, even though he's a really good shooter and his three point percentages are still really good, um, the, he just doesn't. I don't know. It just looks like he hasn't had that much space to, compared to where it was last year, and it's forcing his rhythm off too. He's he's a guy who's a shooter, and you need that rhythm, and when you don't have that. It could force up some really bad looks for you, you know? Here's my thing, right? I really like what the Minnesota Timberwolves are doing this season in that they're absolutely going young. You know, they know that going young is the future. You know, Carl Anthony Towns, Andrew Wiggins, to a lesser extent, uh, Zach Levine. But they also have veterans there to show those guys how to play. You know, for Carl Anthony Towns, you got Kevin Garnett. For Andrew Wiggins, you got... Uh, Nah, they got Andre Miller for point they've guard. They've got Tayshaun Prince and they've got Andre Miller. Tayshaun Prince. Oh, you wouldn't have to read this somewhere, would you? Maybe. I read it a lot of places. What do you mean? I have a weekly column over at Hoops Habit called the NBA Stock Exchange. And this was something I emphasized last week. And to be honest, because you've, you've hit the nail on the head, we haven't spoken about this. But the reason that that came to my mind is because, obviously, I spent so much of my time thinking about the books. That stood out to me. That's that's basically what Milwaukee did last year is what the Timberwolves are doing this year. You didn't put that about Milwaukee in your column, did you? No, it was about the Timberwolves though. Oh it's yeah. Like, yeah, I mean, yeah, I've yeah, that's been that's been a great I mean I've Adam's column was really good. I don't wanna I'm only joking. I, I I definitely wasn't there first. Jackie McMullen did the piece on Garnett, which yeah. sort of I mean it was it was an obvious thing they did right when they traded for K G, I mean it was kinda like it was the, like everyone knew that was the point, but your piece was really—I did read your piece. <laughs> it's like that's like the exact opposite of what they did like this off season. Like, why not keep around Dudley and, and Zaza? Like, imagine like all of John Henson, who obviously has natural talent, up the wazoo on this PG thirteen podcast. His talent's up the wazoo. Imagine if he had. Zaza fundamentals. Like, imagine if the Bucks, like the the training staff, was just like, all right, all right, Henson, here's what you're gonna work on. Do exactly what Zaza does. Just have him shadow Zaza for two years. I mean, that's why Anthony Davis is so good. He has those fundamentals. I mean, he's better than Zaza, obviously, because Anthony Davis was a guard for like most of high school. And then is he just better got, than Zaza? Oh. Adam's going to be out here like, who has more double-doubles this year? That's what I thought. Um, no, but I mean, just having that varied game is what takes you from like a really good center to Anthony Davis or Carl Anthony Town, who nailed a three. and I saw him nail a mid-range jumper and then apologize to Wiggins for not passing it. And that was like the most Minnesotan thing possible. Like, sink the shot. Sorry, should have given you that one. But anyway, I feel like this team needs some more, like, veteran guidance, though. They don't really have that. And that was something that Adam harped on this offseason, to his credit. You said this a lot longer before the NBA stock exchange piece, and I wrote it off. The same reason I thought the Timberwolves would be bad. Or not the Timberwolves. I'm sorry. The Mavericks would be bad this season. And the Mavericks have been really good, and the Bucks have been really bad. 
And there's a lot of reasons for both of those things, but at least some of it is probably has to do with that veteran influence. A story just to tie into that, because when you talk about how, say, the development staff could work with a guy like Henson and say, well, to translate that as, as fundamentals, there is a piece, I, I'm going to say, I'm going to test my knowledge, I think it's the Dallas Star-Telegram, might be the Dallas-Fort Worth Star-Telegram, um, I'm not completely sure, um, but whatever the Dallas paper is, they did a story on Zaza last week, and there was a great quote in there, where basically Zaza is taking credit for teaching Dirk how to rebound. Um, <laughs> Dirk got a, a really important tip in in the game last week, and Zaza is adamant that he taught him how to do that. Um, the quote, let me see, I think I have it here. Yes, yeah, it's, uh, it's the Fort the Fort Worth Star Telegram. There you are. It was close. Um, yeah, you were. What Zaza has been telling 37-year-old future Hall of Famer Dirk Nowitzki is, you just have to take your position under the rim, push the guys around. That's how Zaza plays. Their, their partnership, their partnership, are, like, is my favorite thing in this whole NBA season. They've been throwing shots at each other all year. I don't know how much that you guys have picked up on. Dirk's thrown a lot of good ones. Dirk's been everywhere. Did you uh, see what Dirk did to Powell? Yeah, that, that was good. The, in, even in this same this same piece I'm looking at, um, after Zaza had got yet another double-double, Dirk made the point of Zaza stole six of his rebounds. <laughs> um, so where Zaza finished the game with 21 rebounds, um, according to Dirk, he should have had 13 and Zaza should have had 15. <laughs> those I like I like those two guys together. They're gonna just retire together and go like buy a business. It's gonna be a dope sitcom. Oh, I, I'm not. I, I I was gonna go in and talk about Zaza's businesses, but people don't need to hear this. Um, <laughs> no, they so, really don't. So nobody, if if any of you want to hear about Zaza's business ventures. Hashtag Zaza's Business Ventures, and then Adam will tell you about it. I wasn't actually going to do Zaza Business Ventures. Yes, Zaza Business Ventures. No, you can get at me on Twitter, and I'll happily talk to you for hours on end about what Zaza does away from basketball. Um, <laughs> I hope back. Zaza doesn't listen. He's going to be creeped out, man. Yeah. Zaza, why? I'll tell you about what Zaza does off the court for hours. <laughs> he didn't say it like that. If I said it like that, I'd be worried. Um, to get back and to wrap up on this, this is something that I've seen differing opinions on, we'll put it as. Yes or no, do the books have an identity at the moment? And if they do, what is it? No. Overall, or... Overall, or in any, or in on one end of the floor, uh, no, they, they completely let the other team dictate what they're gonna do. Like the they should have played. The Kings game was the, the best. The Kings game is the per yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. but that that's the, the one Kings that was like the turning point game. It literally broke kids' brain. Yeah, I mean, kid but, did that himself. Yeah. I know, no, but that, there that has no, been a no different sense. No, go ahead, Jordan. I'm sorry. There has been a change in, well, maybe not change, but a stripping down of. Mm, 
not principles, but it is it literally it's basically we're focusing on defense and I don't let the offense come is, to it. This is what I want to touch on because I don't think they're focusing on defense at all. And we're gonna find out very quickly because they play some proper teams in the next ten days. The teams they've held defensively are like the worst teams in the NBA. This is a stretch the book should have got themselves back to five hundred back in the playoff picture out of. And they haven't been able to do it. Like, I mean, tonight, the, the Blazers shot so, so, so bad. They couldn't score inside at all. They weren't even trying for most of the first half to get inside. It's like, I can't put holding them to 88 points down as a good offensive or a good defensive performance. Same with the Knicks were terrible the other night offensively. Yeah, I mean... like I, And I, I don't think there's... Obviously, you can go, oh, well, they were terrible offensively because the defense was good. I just don't think that's been the case, though. I think they've played a lot of teams who don't necessarily thrive on that end of the floor. The only team I can think of who that's not the case for recently is the Hornets. And even when the Bucks played the Hornets, their game plan was gone out the window because Al Jefferson was injured a few minutes in. And they sort of never got a, I don't know, a sort of regular rhythm back to what they were doing in that game. That wasn't a normal Hornets performance. That wasn't like, say, for example, what they did to Detroit tonight. Like, I know it's a tough one, and I don't want to run with that way of thinking because if that is the case, it's going to be a really grim few weeks. But I don't think the defensive improvement is really. There. They only had. They've only held eight teams to less than a hundred points so far. And those eight teams were the Trailblazers, who are pretty bad, the Spurs, who held the Bucks to 70 and are not a good offensive team this season, the Nuggets, who are bad, the Hornets, where Adam just talked about, that was a pretty weird game for them, um, the Celtics, who scored 99, so basically, the Nets, the Knicks, the 76ers, and the Nets. But they haven't shut down a good team's offense at all. They, they like that's what I meant before. I mean, they the other team gets to dictate almost everything. Like if the other team wants to play slow, the game's gonna go slow. If the other team is missing boogie and they want to play super fast, like the Kings, they're gonna play super fast and score 130 points. I mean, that's why I, I don't think they have an identity because they I haven't seen the Bucks dictate a game. They they sort of just roll with the punches, and they have the talent to win some of those games, but not very many as we've seen. There is one aspect of play that particularly since the lineup changes, whether it's the books on the floor going to it or whether it's Jason Kidd has emphasized and is calling for it over and over again, but there is one play in particular that Milwaukee goes to repeatedly. And defense or on offense? On offense, and it's not looking particularly good, and that's Chris oh, Middleton. Yeah, I know. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know we talked about this. We talked about this in the off season, me in particular, um, because I do. I think Chris Middleton can post up. He's not bad in that department. It certainly isn't happening for him so far this season, though. Um, at the moment, and this says all that needs to be said on it. Middleton is shooting forty-five point five percent from three-point range, yet his field goal percentage is lower, thirty-nine point three from the field. Oh my god, that's that's very not good. Like, for Middleton, that's unheard of. I don't know. I don't know why they're going to that play over and over again. Maybe, it's just, it's, maybe it's just, once again, this comes back to there's not someone to create. So it's like, 
well, what's an easy option there? And in a lot of cases, it's like, okay, well, Middleton is big for his position. He's comfortable with his back to the basket. Let's just go to him and see what happens. The one, the one thing I was going to say on defense that they've seemed to do a little better, it's not an identity at all. They have closed out on shooters better in the past few games. Three-point shooters. Mm. I mean, just numbers, obviously, but I think even eye test, they haven't been great. But the first part of the season, they were horrendous. You, you didn't see tonight's game. Yeah. What did the Blazers shoot from three? They missed the well, shots. They, they weren't being defended. They missed the shots. Yeah. In the third and fourth they, quarter... They, they stopped? Like, the game, the basically, what? the game was lost... So much so that I had written a losing recap that was already to post. And the reason if the books had have lost that game would have been that they let the Blazers just go on a tear from three. Mm-hmm. Like it was one one for fifteen, maybe one for sixteen at one stage for the Blazers from three. And then they finished really strong and that's what hurt the books. Because they just didn't close them out. Lillard definitely got two where it was like he drives to the paint realize everyone had collapsed. he just drop it off to a teammate and then like backpedal it to the perimeter, take it back and make the tree. It's like just no awareness whatsoever. I feel like the last game I watched, they were better. I didn't get to watch this game because I was having technical difficulties. So I did not see the, the failure to close out. But what was the last game against uh, the Knicks? The Knicks, yeah. Yeah, Star Wars night. Major Cat night. I thought they were better that night. Maybe I'm misremembering. I mean, the yeah. Knicks are kind of bad, but... Better than the books, which is depressing. Hey, not on Saturday. No, but on most other nights. Yeah, I don't disagree. <laughs> Let's look ahead. I don't know why after such a such a bum note that I've just finished on that segment of the podcast would I decide to look Let's... ahead. Because Let's look ahead. Looking ahead is not fun. What we'll do before we look ahead is let me catch you up on our predictions leaderboard. In the lead, you're probably not too surprised at this stage, even though twice this week I'd like to point out I've got within one game and then the books win or something like that to put me off. That's, that's what happened tonight. Um, but in the lead, we have Mike Helm, 14 and 8, 302 point differential. If only the Bucks were as good as Mike is. In second place, we have a tie, no pun intended. Um, I'm there at 12 and 10, technically in the lead, with a 299 point differential. Then we have Mr. Windish at 12 and 10, 324 point differential. And uh, actually, I'm glad to point out all four of us are above, or well, not above, we're all 500 are above at the moment, which is a big improvement on where we have been. When I say we, I'm not talking about me. Obviously, I've been above 500 throughout, but Jordan and Ty were letting us all down. Jordan is at 11 and 11 with a 342 point differential. Oh, Wednesday, the Clippers roll into the Bradley Center for 
the first of the Fear the Deer knights. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh yeah, the the new the new alternate unis. That you, I don't even know what you can buy. Um, you can buy them. I know there's definitely Jabari ones available. Um, we're gonna get to watch the books play on that really dull court. It's actually it's the perfect game for it because we'll get the the super dull Clippers jerseys <laughs> against I, I the, think, the most boring courts in the NBA, which is the book. I think oh. you're confusing dull with ugly. No, dull. I mean, they're both, but they're ugly too. Yeah, I suppose. Everything, everything about the Clippers over the last like five months has been terrible. Like none of their none of their off season moves have worked at all. Banana boat. We have banana boat. That was the I biggest mean, off-season got... move failure was bringing back DeAndre Jordan. Well, aside from thinking, oh, we have bench problems. Who can we add to this bench? How about Josh Smith? Josh Smith and Lance Stevenson. That's Clippers you, Zaza. Had they had Josh problems. Smith. Josh Smith and Zaza reunited. That would have solved all their problems. That team. DeAndre Jordan, it's actually... Like, the free throw shooting has got out of control. Didn't he shoot, like, 35. I want to say 25 free throw attempts last week? I thought it was, like, 35. Maybe you're right. I want to say, did he set the record or did he come close for most missed free throws in a game? It has to be close. Like, that's just... I don't know. It's That's a tough one. I remember being excited when DeAndre was going to meet with the Bucks. Who knows? I mean, would have been a whole different look to the team if that one had to come to pass. But Jordan's shaking yeah, his head. I'm inclined to agree. That would have to be worried about free throw shooting. <laughs> he tied the record. They he, might have defense, though, Jordan. He missed 22 free throws to tie the record in one game. You think in a, a league average free throw shooter that that gets you like what 18 extra points for your team? Yeah. If you shot like 75% on them? Jesus. That's that's a big part of why the Clippers are like 11 and 9 right now. Um, because there's a piece I was working on earlier today where I was looking at how Blake and Chris Paul have started the season. And they both... Paul's maybe a little bit behind, but Blake Griffin has been incredible. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. he, get, he gets so overlooked now. And I've never been a big Griffin fan. He gets so overlooked just because of some of the other crazy players we currently have in the NBA. <clears throat> Steph. But even Steph, Paul George, I mean... Well, I think his game is kind of like a... Uh, not backwards, but it, people always think that, oh, he's kind of living in that where the NBA was 10 years ago, and they would rather see him be more modern, shoot threes, do... Uh, I don't know. He doesn't really dunk that much anymore, obviously, because that. So that, basically, he's not giving the people what they want. They want giving... three pointers and dunks. Yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> they want cars like... on the court. They want him to jump over it. They want him. I don't know. The rule of timeout with ties to give the people what they want, but this isn't that podcast. The people are stupid. Like the people are dumb. Like why would you have any problem with what Blake Griffin's doing? Or what the Bucks are doing when they don't take... I mean, there's a lot of things that have problems with the Bucks are doing. But not taking threes... Like, <laughs> the, the, point, the point I'd like to make on that, and 
I talked to both of you briefly off air about this, is there's always a team who comes through. Like people seem to I, I honestly I don't know what it is that this doesn't register, but these trends only become a trend because someone goes and does it, it becomes successful and everyone copies. But what that means is eventually some team comes in, they try something different, they don't play the same as everybody else, and they're very successful in doing it. Mm-hmm. That's like, why can't that be the books? Why can't it revert back to the way it was? Three-point shooting isn't what the NBA is now and forever. Like There's an emphasis on it. Obviously, people practice it more across all positions. So, yeah, it's a greater sort of... I suppose it's an extra dimension to, to the way most teams play, but it doesn't mean that it's always going to be seen as this inherently better way of playing. Um, but it's people who think that, like, they're not even paying attention to the whole NBA. Like, who's the clear second-best team in the NBA right now? Like, I find this, I... I no, I mean, seriously, the, the Spurs, right? The Spurs yes. are second-best. They have point four. Look at them as an anomaly. Uh, anomaly. Because I don't know. They I mean, that's, well, I mean, yeah, so I mean, the the Warriors are more of an anomaly than the Spurs. Well, exactly. When the Warriors, when but the that's the point. The, the Warriors, that Warriors team, and the way they play exists because of the Spurs. Mm-hmm. The Spurs were the team to go and do this, and it had been coming already, obviously, and it's well known the three point attempts have been going up and up for years now, but. It was the way, say, the Spurs when they beat the Heat to the title. A guy like Danny Green, all of a sudden, because that's something that the league had moved away from for a few years. Even if you look at, say, around the time the Celtics won the title or when the Lakers were winning their titles, a guy like Danny Green was different. It was like, right, this guy isn't incredibly talented. He doesn't do this sort of unbelievably well or that unbelievably well but within the structure of how the team plays you can get the best out of them and you can maximise them and there was like a reinvention of what a role player was and that coincided with three point shooting coming into yeah, it yeah but the thing is is like they're still winning and they're not shooting threes anymore they're taking .3 more threes per game and making .3 more threes per game than the Bucks. they're shooting .7% better from long range and they're the second best team in the NBA. It's not that close. Yeah, and that's that's a big part of that is you bring LaMarcus Aldridge in. The Spurs are smart enough to know the smartest organization in the NBA. Okay, we now have Duncan and Aldridge on the floor together for significant periods of time. Why would we be just playing all out in the perimeter? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, everyone knows they're the smartest. I don't get why like but people that's, are on the You NBA. don't have to be. That, that's the whole point. That's what you're trying to say. That's what we've all said is you don't have to be smart to realize that the Spurs are smart. Or that that the Spurs are smart. I know, but that's that's what the Spurs, this is the great thing about the Spurs, and people make it out as if everything the Spurs do is unattainable or they focus in on imitating it. What the Spurs do is they don't try to be like anybody else. They just do everything that's right for them in the simplest way possible. Yeah, That's, they just don't add extra complications. What is that mm-hmm. called? Oc- was that Occam's razor? The most obvious solution is usually the the right one. That's the Spurs. It's like who are our best players? Let's do whatever they would do. That's... How will we score the basketball by passing? 
like, I mean, even even less than that. How will we win the game this year? It's by playing defense. Uh, the Spurs don't care that their offense isn't working that well. I mean, they care a little. Part of that is, and Pop said this, but and he's right to say it and believe it because it will happen. That will figure itself out, and by the time like late in the that season will. comes around, they'll be on a tear offensively. That they definitely will, but I mean, right now they don't even need to be because they're they're really good defensively too. They're a really good defensive team. Like they just do what they know their players are the best at. I mean, that's what I mean. That's what I said. Good coaching was. I've I've brought this up too many times now. I didn't mean to do this just so much. On the last TWT, that's what I defined good coaching as. It's like whatever a good coach, instead of putting a scheme on players, makes a scheme for players. That's what good coaching is. Because I mean, there's a million coaches for each NBA level talented player. Like let's be honest. But that's Popovich once again is the perfect example of what worked last year or worked the year before that isn't necessarily right for where the roster's at now. That's about maximizing what you have. That's your coach. Coach what you have, not what you'd like to have or what you're trying to be. What you have is what's there for you to play with. So you might as well work with that and try to get the best results out of, out of what you already have there at your disposal. Um, we got sidetracked. I can't remember where we were. Uh, oh, the, the Bucks are playing the Clippers on Wednesday. That's where it is for us. Yeah. Um, wow, that was... I think someone said Blake Griffin. That's what I... Yeah. Yeah, we went back to this whole thing again. This is... Jordan, you go first because I honestly can't decide who I, want, who I think is going to win this game. Bucks by five. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I'm doing it. I don't believe in the Clippers, but I actually don't believe in the Bucks more. Clippers by five. Clippers by 12. Yeah, I, I don't believe... I mean, the Clippers I just have been got, bad. I just, without going into great detail on this, remember like that first hour of this podcast we talked about? Well, that all of the stuff from that first hour are going to come up against Chris Paul. I mean, and Blake Griffin. If he plays. Did you go books by five as well, Ty? No, I said Clippers by five. Clippers by five, okay. Yeah. No, but Blake, obviously, that's a factor, but... I mean, even how bad the Clippers are bad. Okay, that's fair. He's been injured quite a lot recently. Mm. If Chris Paul plays... Yeah, Redick. Redick is gonna, the key. If Redick is going to play. No, but think, Jordan. Chris Paul could be facing up with OJ Mayo point guard. Bring it. <laughs> like, the Clippers might be the one seed. <laughs> the, the Clippers might be the one seed in the East right now if they were in this conference. Like they've been bad by their standards, but they're still like twelve and nine. If they had a guy who could make free throws, they're like probably second in the West. As yeah. you said, the points that they're missing out on in games easily win games for them. Like they're not as they're not bad like eleven and nine suggests. That I mean, that's really not even that's not even bad. That's, that's why that's why kid is gonna resort to Hacker Diadre. Oh yeah, see, this is they didn't do this against Detroit. He will do it. He will do it. I guarantee you. But I would have done it against Drummond. Drummond. Yeah, they should have done Hackett Drummond. They could have done Hackett Drummond. I, I remember tweeting that out with like four minutes left. I think it was a four-point game. And yeah. I was like, okay, now is the time. Start it now. Because he, I think he had like, I watched the game a little later than uh, it was, but it was like it felt like he went to the line 15 times. 
on purpose, on not unintentional fouls, I should say. Yeah. I feel like every fan is against Hacker whoever when it's the 29 teams that they don't root for. Yeah, when it's like the finals or something and most people are neutral observers at that point. Everyone's no, yeah, I mean, if, if your team's in the finals, you're fine with it. I'm, fi- like, I'm fine with a full stop. I, don't, I think guys should be punished for not being able to make free throws. It's just so ugly. It's just really, it's hideous to watch. But that's it, I mean... I mean, here's the thing, I mean, guys should be punished for, you know, not being good passers, but Hassan Whiteside is never forced to pass. You know, it's the only it's the only skill where you can be forced into doing it by the other team. Truly Shooting. forced. Shooting. You can't be forced into shooting. You can pass. Shot clock. Shot clock's going to violate. you got to shoot it. I mean, yeah, but the other team can't force you into That's like it. some super elite D that's forcing the ball into one specific player's hands while yeah. the shot clock is expired. Andre Roberson, you got five seconds. Take a shot. Uh, uh, Robertson can shoot sometimes. 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 <laughs> I mean, Obviously, I, you'd rather him take the shot than everyone else on the. Tony Allen, you got five seconds. Tony Allen, Tony Allen's a good one. But I mean, no, no one would ever pass it to Tony Allen with that little time left. With five seconds yeah. left in the shot clock, Tony Allen's already just preparing for the defensive play. <laughs> he's just punting. Ball. Ball. He's just yeah. He, he's basically punting. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that that's my only thing against him is that you can force someone to do it even if they don't even touch the ball. I hate watching it where like a guy inbounds and you just see someone go up and like hug DeAndre. It's like, and why how is that? Many, how many people does this affect? It affects DeAndre Jordan, Dwight Howard, now Hassan Whiteside. Let's throw Ron no, it doesn't. It's not Whiteside, is it? Whiteside, Whiteside has been getting hacked. I thought he shoots like sixty percent. I think some teams have tried it this year. It's not it's not smart if you shoot sixty percent though. That's bad, but it's not good enough for it. Does, it doesn't team. happen with Rondo that often. Was it the Bucks that did it to Rondo? No, it wasn't. Um, no, I don't think, I don't remember the Bucks. Yeah, theoretically, you could let's say he. Oh, teams might do that actually. I don't know, but it only applies to maybe four players max. In... I mean, you you could find more. It's just the more like Clint Clint Capella's shot. Plenty of nights where hacking uh, John Hanson would work out okay. Yeah, that's true. I bet you could find a guy on each team who you could hack a, if you really want. I actually to. I know when I mixed up. It was the Hawks who hacked Rondo. Ah. Mm. And they won the game. That was that was Bud being a smart coach. Um. Moving on. Friday, the books go north of the border to Air Canada Centre. Square off with the Raptors. Raptors by not good. Raptors by twenty-five. <laughs> okay, hold on. Really? I should no, say. I'm not. I'm just. It's it's painful. I'm not saying it's not going to yeah, happen. They, they, beat by, they beat a much better Bucks team by forty points last season. I should say they are without Demar Carroll for an indefinite amount of time. Amount they of got time. De- They got Demar Derozan. They'll be fine. Demar That's Derozan. Ty's a big Demar Derozan fan, but oh. what Demar, DeMar Derozan's been really good defensively. They got Kyle Lowry. 
The other thing with that, though, yes. Jordan, is Damari's out with a knee bruise. Oh. Like, how bad is a knee bruise? Like, that's... Well, it could be a bone bruise. I mean, if it's a... If they're saying an indefinite amount of time, that sounds like a bone bruise to me. Didn't the books have that with Bayless, wasn't it? And he was back after one game. No, who was it? There was someone earlier in the season was out indefinitely. Jabari. Jabari. Um, yeah, we did a podcast about Jabari being out indefinitely. <laughs> yeah. and he went that wasn't a bone bruise. That was out indefinitely, but it was not a bone bruise. Damari is averaging 21.4, 4.2, 4.2, 0.9 per game. He's really good. I don't know. But they got skinny Kyle Lowry, too. That's a, that's a big really, thing. Valanciunas yeah. is out for a long time too. And but they keep. We, oh, we forgot to talk about. We forgot to talk about. Bebe Nagara. No, I don't want to do this. Bebe Nagara. Say the name again, because I still don't know how Bebe to say. Bebe Nagara. Lucas It's actually it's Naguera. Naguera. Sorry. Naguera. As long as his first name is still Bebe, I'm fine with this. It's a nickname. I can't. Yeah, it's Lucas Naguera. Um, oh yeah, you I've, now I realize why you can't. Yeah, play. I can't. I hate this. Yeah. Why? Why does he hate this? He, the Hawks traded him away. Yeah. They basically so? dumped him. They they dumped him to get rid of Lou Williams. That's he's been really good. That's why. So. Mm-hmm. Um, so I now don't they got EB. At least it wasn't trading away a first that. round pick to get rid of Jared Dudley. It could be worse. Um, before I make my prediction, I would just like to say I have a I have a rational love for the Raptors. I don't know why I like this team. And I also really like Corey Joseph. And he's clutch. He is he's very clutch. good. He's clutch. I mean, if we oh, go back to the point guard discussion, that is a perfect player for the Bucks. Before Kyle Lowry got skinny, I really thought they were going to trade him for something. I thought they were going to rebuild him. They just didn't. Sorry. (laughs) See, the the thing is, is it it took them. They really had to make me love, like, make me trust them. I did not trust Toronto. You can ask Adam about this. Even early in the season, they were winning a lot. And I'm like, okay, Dwayne Case has been on the hot seat for, like, three years. Yeah, I didn't. I was with you on this. I think both of us picked them not to make the playoffs. I know I did. Yeah. I, I, picked not, them I think, I think if, they get, if they get healthy, I think they're going to be a top four team in the East. Yeah, I, I do. I believe that now. And my problem was never Dwayne Casey. Um, I always thought Dwayne Casey got a slightly harder rap. I just didn't buy into their off-season signings. And every single one of them has paid off. Luis Scola He's been really exactly, good. exactly what the Raptors needed. And I don't think they had any idea it's what they needed until they had it. Skull is like Zaza Jr. I was going to say, he's like the Argentinian Zaza. It's amazing how guys like that, that just... Like, they go against all these new age sort of readings of the game. But there are guys who are just fundamentally sound. They make good decisions, and they'll make you a better basketball team. Mm -hmm. Like the Brazilian Blair. Leandro Barbosa, who could definitely start in the 76ers. Um, Jordan, your prediction. Oh, yeah, I didn't go. Oh, the Carol is in my head. 
But is it home or away? Home? Uh, away. away. Toronto. Ooh. What? Wait, do we know if Drake's going to be there? Do we know Drake's, Drake's schedule? Be there. I don't think Drake's going to be there. They have a, they have a hotline bling box apparently there. Oh, that I was don't great. Think, I mean, that, was that. For, that was only that was for, only Drake, for Drake night. night. Oh. I wish this was Drake night really bad. This wouldn't even be Brian Adams night. That's a little can- Canada humor. Uh, <laughs> if anybody really likes that joke, please let me know on Twitter because I was proud of that joke. Anyway, uh, <laughs> um, I'm gonna go Raptors by twelve. I have to get my thoughts back together after. Hashtag Brian Adams. Yes, that's that's what we're going with. Jordan's Jordan? a passion plea. Jordan takes over now. I don't know if you've noticed, Ty. Yeah, Jordan's feeling what? himself. I mean, how long is it that Jordan has his own pod? Oh, no. I, Jordan, if you want... No one wants that. Honey <laughs> jinx with Jordan. No one wants that. Hey, Adam. Adam, hashtag no or hashtag... Hashtag Jordan no or hashtag Jordan yes. I'd say hashtag Jordan yes. I, uh, let us know, listeners. Would you like to see... Because we'll oh, do it on no. Win and Six, even. Maybe uh, like a Christmas special podcast where Jordan oh hosts. That might be the worst. It would be an incoherent mess. It would be so crazy. I'm going to go gonna Raptors. A... I'm going to go Raptors by 14. Wow, you totally price is right at Jordan. Yeah. I had it typed before Jordan said anything. So <clears throat> It just seems like you out Jordan, Jordan. Sorry that I didn't go by 25. See, it's Sorry. a copycat league. That's what we're talking about. <laughs> Jordan's the Jordan's the Warriors. Adam is the Bucks, and I'm the I'll give him, I'm gonna I'm gonna go first for a change then because <gasps> no one can accuse me. Still, Warriors by 18. Oh my God, we have to do this game. Where yeah. is it? Where it's is in it? In Milwaukee. It's home. Why did Why did I ask? Why, why does it matter, Ty? Yeah, I don't know why I asked. Yeah. <laughs> I, they're, playing I thought, an, uh, they're playing on an uh, aircraft carrier. <laughs> like, oh, just, just, there could be no three-point lines. It wouldn't matter to me. Um, Matt Moore has been going off on Twitter about how he legitimately thinks they're going to go undefeated. No, he, I thought, uh, he wasn't saying that. He was saying there is a shot, though. Like, he feels it's in play. Yeah, no, he, mm. he legitimately thinks it could happen. And I, I was like, okay, that's a little ridiculous. And I watched this Nets game, and they're down by like they're literally down by like ten to the Nets in the third quarter, and not even their starters, their their entire bench unit, not one starter was out there. Their five bench players went on like a thirty to ten run, and they easily won the game. And Steph had to play like two minutes in the fourth quarter. I'm just like, oh my god, their bench can. I mean, I know it's the Nets, but I mean, you know, they got Brook Lopez. They're playing more like a real NBA team. Like they're up to five wins. The Warriors' second unit, when they tried, they just embarrassed them. This team, they, I mean, if I, I would not be completely shocked if they won 80 games. Do you think the Warriors make it to the Bucks game undefeated? I sort of have a feeling. I've had this feeling for a little while. Um, but they're on the road to the Pacers tomorrow night. And then follow that up with Friday night on the road to the Celtics. Mm. I think they, I think they do honestly. I think that Celtics game could be a trap game, even if they get through the Pacers, because 
Have they beaten the Nuggets yet? The Nuggets have been the ultimate trap game. The Nuggets have beaten a lot of good teams. They've definitely played them. I think they have too. At least pass or tie the record. The thing, the thing about the Warriors... Oh, yeah, you're right, they did. Um, the thing against the war, about the Warriors, I should say, is that they they just... they More than any other team, maybe even the Spurs, which sounds crazy, they know exactly what they need to do to win each individual game. Like, you watch them in-game, and they know exactly how to win. I mean, Steph, Steph Curry and company, it's not just him. That's important to emphasize. He's been fantastic. But it's I, like I you watch to, them. I'm going to cut across you because we're going to come back to the Warriors. We have a mailbag question there because I want you You can go into okay. that a little bit more in a, in a minute. Uh, okay. We'll just get your predictions first, and then we'll move on to the mailbag. What did you say? I went to 18. Yeah, I'll say Warriors by 25. I'll go against 25 again. I mean, they're, they're ridiculously good. I'll go Warriors by 13 because of a little garbage time. A little bigger the Warriors lead. garbage time players are really good. That's the problem. I know, but we'll see. So they're jo- gonna have Andre Jordan has picked the only Bucks win of the week. He has them beating the Clippers by five. And other than that, let me see. I have the books losing three games with a minus 44-point differential. Ty has them losing three games with a minus 55-point differential. Let's hope we're all wrong, because otherwise next week's podcast is going to be a lot of fun. Mailbag. First one comes from at John underscore Morton 15. Is the defensive drop-off from Zaza to Moose this serious? Hmm. Well, John, yes. (laughs) I think... uh, I think it's... hmm. I can jump in for you here. Yeah, you go first. You go first. Uh, I think 100% yes. 100%. And the reason for that is the same reason I gave earlier for how Zaza helped the offense. It's positioning. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know how much of the Mavericks most people have been watching so far this year. He's just never out of position. You can score over and around him because it's not like he's the best defender. But it's his position that just makes it hard for people to score. Um, he can't really jump, which books fans will know. But once again, he's got good verticality. He'll stretch himself out and make it hard to get a shot over him. The other things, I know it was flagged up. Um, I can't remember who exactly. There, I, there was a couple of people, I can't remember who, after, I'm going to say the Spurs game. It was flagged up how Monroe doesn't get back in transition very well. Zaza can never be accused of that. Like he might sort of plod his way up and down the floor, but he does get back. Um, right now, I'm inclined to say yes. The thing is, I wouldn't pin all of this on Monroe in any way. Like people were sort of setting it up before the season, saying, "Well, he's so bad defensively, he could all come apart." because there's a lot more wrong with the Bucks defense than Monroe. At the moment, 
the biggest problem with the defense, as we mentioned earlier, for me, is not closing out on three-point shooters. Mm-hmm. I think, too, to kind of piggyback off of that, it's, Zaza was the perfect player to have on your team to install the type of defense that the Bucks had coming with Kidd, coming with Sean Sweeney. And he's a, like, just he fits that profile of knowing where to be, knowing how to or call out to other players, keep guys um, you know, focused and keep communicating with them. And you couldn't have asked for a better player to do that because we we see the difference of not having I'm not saying Monroe is not is the total opposite of that, but it's clear that he has never played um in a scheme like that or have to be in that type of role. So I think we're seeing the difference of seeing a guy trying to work his way with it and a guy knowing exactly what to do with like Zaza did last year. Yeah, I mean I think we talked about this a lot earlier in the pod. I mean both offensively with the screens and just knowing exactly what to be. Defensively just making everyone better on both ends. There's definitely been a difference there. I mean, Monroe's better in some areas, you know, just straight post-up scoring, just dominating his man. There's not many players better than Moose in the NBA right now doing that. But, I mean, yeah, I mean, we, we talked about it. Screens, defensive, getting back right away. There, there's a noticeable loss in some categories. Next question comes from at Brady underscore Anderson Tree. Um, it's a return to the mailbag for Brady. Is it realistic to believe the Bucks can hand the Warriors their first loss of the season? <laughs> no. No, well, the no. first thing I will say on this is, I think we talked about this in the off-season. I don't feel like the Bucks, hypothetically what the Bucks should be, not what they have been recently, are necessarily a good matchup for Golden State. And they'd cause them more trouble than a lot of teams. And the Bucks are going to catch the Warriors deep into their Eastern road trip and on the second night of a back-to-back. Um, are the Bucks? Oh, actually, never mind that because the Bucks are on the road on Friday as well. So it's, it's not much easier for them. Um, I mean, realistic being the word that starts that question off, the answer has to be no. Yeah. What will happen... Someone is eventually going to beat them, so yeah, it could. Um, hopefully, hopefully someone's going to beat them. If they get a performance like they gave against the Knicks on Saturday, it's not impossible. Mm. But everything needs to connect. I just think, so. I mean, even if the Bucks play perfect, I'm just not sold. I mean, the Warriors just have that. This is what I was starting to get into a little bit earlier. They, they, they're so good at when they have to kicking it into that next gear. Like, if they sense the game's close, even if it's their second unit out there like they did against the, the Nets, this whole team will just go, oh, it's close? There's 20 minutes left in this game and it's close? I think it's time for us to be up by 20 now. And then they do that. It's ridiculous. They, they will lose eventually, probably. I mean, Steph might need a night off or something. I don't think it's going to be against the Bucks, though. Against the Bucks, who do you... Here we are again, and this is a real... This is when all this point guard stuff is going to be put into sharp focus because we've got a week coming up where potentially the books are going to face off against Chris Paul, Kyle Lowry, and Steph Curry. Yikes. Who are you going to match up with Curry? 
I mean, who would I or who are the Bucks going to? Well, I guess both. Not both. They're going to put Mayo on him. Yeah. If Vasquez returns, he's starting. That might be worse. That will be worse. I'd put MCW on him. I was thinking about this the other day. If MCW really worked on his defense, he has the physical tools to be kind of a Tony Allen player. His focus is about to let him down on defense, but that might be the ultimate game where it's like you've taken all this criticism. If the Warriors came into Milwaukee still undefeated, it's like, okay, you know what? You're starting tonight. Your job is stop Steph Curry. That might be the best. That might be a, a sneaky, the best way, the sneaky best way to use MCW. Like, what if he's a defensive stopper? You just say, look, don't switch, don't do any of this. You hound Curry all night, or whoever it is, you know, Kyle Lowry. You hound Kyle Lowry all night. You play See, Kawhi Leonard defense. You just don't he, leave him. Vasquez is, he, is good at hounding players. That's one thing that you'll see Vasquez do. He will take players the full <laughs> length of the court. The problem is when well, things slow down a little bit, he'll just completely forget that he's playing defense yeah. and things will go wrong. And but, I, I, I don't think anyone should full-court press Steph Curry. I'm saying meet him at half-court. Let him shoot half-courts open if he wants to. He'll probably make them, but let him, let him do that instead. I think MCW defensive stopper could be fun, though. Well, if, I mean, that's if, he, if he plays the Philly defense, not the Milwaukee defense. Well, I mean, just, just tell him, just, you know, look, not even our offense don't focus that much, but your number one goal is to hound this player. If he, I mean, if he does that, I don't think, I don't think we'd be, keep having to bring up this point guard, you know, talk or who's playing point guard, who's starting or all stuff like that. That's the thing, I think... I would hope that most fans would hope that is what he ultimately is because, yes, he might not be the best offensively, but at least he's not giving up or, or uh, losing his guys on defense, which was, or last night was not a uh, positive night in that regard. Uh, I don't know. It's, that was one, not to double down this again, but that was one thing I really noticed. He, get, he gets like... He gets really stuck on screens when he gets rolled on, and it just it it's like a it's like domino effect. Like you can just see guys taking maybe a second too much longer than they should be, and then you see uh, the opposing team, like the Blazers did, whip the the ball into whatever corner opposite corner it is, and you just see it, and they make a three or a good opportunity or something like that. It was it just see it was really uh, apparent tonight. Yeah, I mean, that's if, if you don't fight through screens, you're always going to be a rotation late. Yeah. He's been guilty of that in multiple cases. Next question is from uh, Pencil2292. Uh, Pencil's been in touch this week to talk a little bit more about Marmite. Oh, um, no. He was quite upset at the whole Nutella comparison. I tried to explain to him it was purely just about it comes in a similar sort of tub slash jar. Yeah. And it's brownie in color. And we are well aware that Nutella neither neither sort of truly looks, tastes, smells anything like Marmite. Um, but I mean Vegemite. 
yeah, sorry, why am I saying Marmite? I know why I'm <laughs> saying Marmite. It's because it's five minutes past six. Um, oh. that's, that's the time it is here for me. So it's five past six in the morning. So if I start to just completely go off topic anytime soon, it might feel like the rest of the podcast, but there's valid reason for it. <laughs> so when I said Marmite all those times, I meant Vegemite. Uh, Marmite's a different story. We won't go there. That really would get us lost. But Pencil got I'm a touch lost. I'll say no more because if you guys didn't know, Jordan knew Vegemite. All our listeners are like, what is Vegemite? I've ruined I thought it. Was it. They're all gone. I thought it was Magemite. Vegemite. <laughs> what is it? Vegemite. Veg- I, I don't, why, why am I asking? Like, I'm, I'm going to go buy some. <laughs> you should. I don't Jordan, even think I you can. Don't, you don't mean that, even. No, no, don't do it, don't do it. The question, and I apologize because that was my fault. <laughs> now that Jabari is starting to have 15-plus point nights, is it reasonable to expect him to become the primary scorer this season? No. I don't even know if the Bucks have one of those. One I of mean, those would help. Like it, it looked like it was going to be Giannis, but, I mean, it hasn't been. But that was the thing that I think, well, personally, I thought about was they're not designed to have a, um, I'm trying to think of a really good example. Why am I forget? Lead, a power, lead scorer X. You know what I mean? They're, they're designed to be, have hopefully they're starting lineup above 10 points or even more, like 15 points a night. They don't – they might have nights where some guys carry the team more than other nights, but I think that's the focus of the team is to have uh, at least almost three to five guys be in well into double figures. And I don't think – plus, too, they don't run plays for Jamari. It's – kind of clear. They just kind of, it's either he's coming off cuts or they give it to him and he does his, you know, magic, if you will. Like You could, uh, you could remove, you could remove for Jabari from that sentence and it would still be true, Jordan. <laughs> That's true. They, they don't Except run plays. I mean, the, only, the only plays they run for are Middleton and Monroe. Middleton post-up. Middleton post-up. Uh, or Mandel Ferry with a Monroe post-up. Yeah. That's not even really a play, though. That's just a pass to Greg Monroe, and that's just what he does. Yeah. I don't know. It depends on... Like, Jabari so far has just... Everything he's got, he's taken himself. And it could get to a point where he's showing more than what the books are even allowing him to show. And if he takes it upon himself and really starts to consistently score, why not? Um, I do think the aim is to have sort of balanced scoring throughout a number number of guys in the roster, but I don't think that's maybe even best for Jabari. We've talked about it from a long way out. He is the guy who seems like he should be sort of primary scoring option, but whether they go that way is a different question. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, just to end on this, that with, they maybe don't need a primary scorer. It'd be nice if they had a reliable go-to scorer, and they don't really have that right now. I mean, Monroe kind of, but it's hard for a post player to be that. 
you know it's because it's it's easier it's it's easier to run against and obviously you're not gonna go have them go for a three pointer ever. They haven't had that since they lost Brandon Knight, for better or for worse. They haven't had that kind of primary go-to score. Our last question comes from at Alex underscore Koenig 23 With MCW playing relatively better off the bench, which is more likely, keeping him there or bringing him back to starting? I honestly don't know. I figured he'd be starting a couple games ago by now because he's off the bench. And each time I thought, oh, okay, well, he's going to be a starter again now. And he hasn't been, what? even though the situation absolutely dictated it. I don't think I don't know if we'll see him start again once all these point yeah, guys are healthy kids, again. Kids made it clear that he feels he's a bench guy at the moment. Um, yeah. And if that's the case, I honestly don't see the point in him being there. Like, I think yeah, eventually it reaches a point where it's like, well, he's either a starter or why are you keeping him? Yeah, I don't think when you're building a young core, one of the first five things you want to get is a good sixth man. I'm right in saying MCW is going to be up for extension this summer only. Yes. His deal runs out or there's one more year after No, there'll be one more year, but... Yeah. Yeah, if they want to right. take up the early extension option, not have them go and test the waters it's this summer. If he's uh, still on the team by then. The, with the way his play is, like, I mean, that could be a real... It could be one of those decisions where you, you end up getting burned pretty bad. Like, if you look at what's happening with the magic with Evan Fournier... They were taking it as in, well, no, this guy isn't really doing enough for us. Why would we pay him? We'll get him cheap maybe next summer because who's going to want him? And he comes out and starts the season like he started it. Like, Michael mm -hmm. Carter-Williams is absolutely a guy capable of doing that. The books would go, you know what, no, I don't think that's it. Still mightn't have an option at point guard that they, they really like. He goes out and starts next season, plays 20 great games, and all of a sudden you're in trouble. That's... That's going to, as the season wears on and we see how it plays out, if he's with the team, we're not saying there won't be any sort of drama, uh, but if he is with the team, that's going to be a really interesting debate in itself. I should add that his minutes, besides the Charlotte game, have not uh, really changed since he's been benched. Is in fact, he's actually played a little bit more. Obviously, that also you have to take in mind the injuries too. But is, is Kid just trying to copy Scott Skiles right now? No, because Scott Skiles is winning. Um, so that's, I, I said I said trying to copy. Yeah, okay, maybe trying to. Uh, well, it's kind of like the old Depot. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. Old Depot and Carter Williams have that history together as well. Yeah, they don't like each other, right? No, and then the same class. Carter Williams got rookie of the year where I suppose it could have been on the depot. Yeah, and the, I was about to bring that point up earlier too when Jordan was talking because the team who are like multiple players averaging 14, 15 points a game right now in the NBA is the Magic. That's what guys has them doing. I think they've got five guys, maybe six at the moment, sort of very close to that range. Jason, you can't forget about Jason Kidd's history with Scott Skiles. 
I don't know Jason Kidd's history with Scott Scott's. Oh. Oh. I just say I he warned to the actions for uh try to go after the ball against the referee. Um but I already it sounds like a, a I did find it funny that if the game that he was missing was the magic and it's Scott Skiles. Just look it up. Is that the history? What is I don't get it. He does not like Scott Skiles whatsoever. Hmm. I never knew that. Yet he is probably the most like him in terms of style coaching. And both former point cards. It's almost time to wrap up, but we've got one important piece of business to attend to. Oh, no. Oh, yes. There has been... See, I'm inclined to call a positive movement. Wait, what? I'll let Jordan take care of it, though. What is it? Oh, my God. Oh, it's the, the Miles points to foul ratio. Did he play at all? He played one game. Yeah. Did you guess what game it was? It was the Spurs. Yes. I can I can guess some other stuff too. It got me excited at the time. Are you ready? Yeah. What was it last time, Jordan? Was it like fourteen and twenty? It was it was twenty six and fourteen, including last week. Oh wow. Twenty six points, fourteen fouls, including the technical. Well, um, mm-hmm. We gotta count the technical. It's a foul. It says foul right yeah, in there. Yeah, but they don't count that in stats. But we're keeping it in our official count. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Jordan. Miles Plumlee has twenty-six points, fourteen fouls, and one technical. It's alive. Twenty-six <laughs> to fifteen. <laughs> Jordan said, yeah. Kill it. this is over. It's not going to happen. Look at that. Week he's, by he's week, still, he's going to edge still got a closer. To go. He's still got a ways to go. I believe. <laughs> I believe he can do it. Even if it's within 10, that's still like objectively horrible. I mean, he's, that means he's just two games away from doing it. That's yeah. basically all that means. He's... He's literally a minute away. If he just gets a minute of playing time, he's a minute away from, from doing that. <laughs> no matter where or when you are in the world, you're always just a moment away from Oz Plumley fouling you. Mm-hmm. He's so good at that. That's pretty much it for this week's podcast. Um, check back in with us next week where things... Well... Let's just hope that somehow, miraculously, we're celebrating the book's incredible 3-0 week, but reality is probably going to be a little bit different. Um, in the meantime, Time Out with Ty will go live on Friday. Yeah, you want to you wanna leak my guest? That's already been leaked five times. That's up to you. Go on. I got to do it. We got Hoops Habit Rockets contributor. We got piston-powered writer Duncan Smith coming on the show this week. It should be good. I'm doing. I'm, we're doing after dark. We're recording this tomorrow, Wednesday, at midnight. Oh, you're forgetting the most important part of Duncan's presence on the podcast. He's Canadian. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Oh, boom! 
Ask about Brian Adams. <laughs> I'm not. I'm done. Well, well, I'll see if I have time. I have a, a packed ledger. <laughs> let um, let Duncan and... tweet at Jordan. Brian Adams, yes. Brian Adams, no. There yeah, go. Duncan, Duncan, you got to do that. And I, I got a Christmas Day pod planned, kind of. That's special because Christmas is on a Friday this year. I don't know if you knew that. I want to do something big. I don't know what it's going to be yet, but I got, I'm doing something. Yeah, it's Santa. You got it. If, if I can't get, if I can't get anybody, he can't even keep. He can't keep his guests secret. He, he can't hold it in. He could have surprised you all with a Christmas Day podcast, but no. Um, he just has to spill the beans. Time out with Santa. If I, December twenty. If I, if I that, can't get that any is of officially the... it for this week's podcast. Make sure to follow us on SoundCloud. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Check out all our writing on site and we'll be back next week thanks very much Jordan thanks very much Ty bye